welcome back to another episode of the Fisk and Friends podcast here with Fisk, Jackson, and our special guest, Delbert Redfield. How's it going, Delbert? I'm good. How are you guys? Uh, do, doing pretty good. <laughs> I'm so excited to be on the show today. Thanks for letting me tell my story and get this great news out there. <laughs> Anytime. I so, Del. Yes. You're a member of the men's basketball team. That's right, Olivet College. You're also from Olivet, right? Yep, born and raised. Can you talk about what it's like being from Olivet and then playing at Olivet College? You know, (laughs) there's really just nothing like it. Actually, there's a lot of things like it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) Let me think for an example here. You know, there's no examples. Uh, (laughs) But just imagine... You've been here your whole life. You know all these people. <laughs> you love all these people. <laughs> Sounds pretty familiar. <laughs> and then you just get a chance to keep doing it. You think you're going to go out there and take the <laughs> world by the oyster, you know? <laughs> U of M, Duke. But then you're like, why not keep the show on the road right here? So not on the road? <laughs> keep the show in town? Keep the show in town. It's a lot like uh, that Jay-Z song I put on for my city. <laughs> I think that's Jeezy, not Jay-Z. <laughs> I was thinking more run this town. Uh. All good. <laughs> All good. <laughs> okay, so that's obviously a connection. Fisk is from Olivet. Born and raised. Yep. Dale, also from Olivet. Coincidence? I think not. <laughs> <laughs> so can you talk about like how many people do you think – at a at a, like a home game at Olivet, are like from Olivet and like always are kind of like supporting you when you get in. Is there a lot? Ooh. Especially in the last couple of years, I'd say there's a a good 150 200 people, at least that I know, like of my friends that are there watching the college games. But I'd say the last couple of years, just about the entire city of Charlotte's or of Olivet's been at the games and Charlotte and some Charlotte yeah yeah like everybody comes to the games it's pretty sweet is that fun I mean having like all those people cheer you on it's awesome little nerve-wracking but I mean because they've seen Cam Ramos too who's on the team like they've seen us play our whole lives so like they're expecting to see the same kind of stuff so it's it's really fun to get to play in front of them because we're just gonna be straight up with you the college basketball team didn't used to be very good so the pride and joy of the city was the high school team and then once, so it's just like double trouble. You got two good teams. Yeah, now Hopefully that the, now that the yeah. college team is good, people are actually willing to go and pay to watch them. But beforehand, it was like I'm not gonna spend money to go watch them lose by thirty. Yeah, I'm gonna be honest. Like my freshman, my senior year, I was never considering going to Alabama College. Like it was not like I don't even know how many games I had been to growing up. But like I went my senior year and watched, and there were probably like eight people in the crowd watching the game i'm not kidding and believe it ernst talked me into coming and yeah it was the change was unreal like thousands of people within a year came to see the game so because well, i mean there's it's quite a show i mean you may ernst brings a sh- he brought a show you may he or did. may not like him but he yeah. doesn't know how to he, build a program up and he also knows how to tear it down <laughs> he does he knows how to build it up and he knows how to tear it down. But, I mean. You guys are in a pretty good spot yeah, right now. Yeah. Yeah. I would yeah. say. And th- I think those three years, though, for this city were pretty cool. Having a couple D1 guys in the middle of 
little Olivet, middle of like, a cornfield. Yeah, yeah. I mean it's it. it's pretty cool, and <laughs> yeah, I think this year will be fun too. Yeah, we'll I mean, see we'll see how it goes, but we were talking about it before the show. I think I think some people are sleeping on you guys a little bit. Yeah, with the did seventh, you see the yeah right? the preseason rankings? We came came out and we're seventh. Probably didn't help that we just lost to. I was to thinking Sankler. that probably weighed in a little. Yeah. bit. Yeah, because like but, Kalamazoo, I, you know, some of those middle. Middle of the pack schools, I think we're. Definitely but I feel like they kind of some of the community colleges teams are like no. Oh yeah, joke, they're ranked though. top twenty in the nation, I guess. Right, St. Clair was, but we should have beat them. Well, I know, but I'm just saying, like, it's not yeah. LCC's yeah. always got a good basketball. Yeah. It just team, looks like, bad. It's a bad look, but I mean, it's also this year is different. Like last year, if we'd, I mean, last year we would have went out and beat them by fifty. But in the middle of the season, like, we would have just, like, started losing games. Like, it, it was just all about winning. And right now, like, we're getting better. And by the midseason, we're going to be in peak shape and we're not going to stop. Yeah, exactly. Like, like last year was, like, <laughs> you guys we, we co- peaked. Coasted. Like, last year's team peaked, I would I feel like, right in the beginning yeah. of league play. Won, like, six games in a row. Yeah. And then everything hit the wall because they weren't conditioning consistently practicing or practicing the right things and coach Hargrave is like I've never seen someone so like I don't know like energetic and like positive after a loss like right after we lost usually you lose to a juco and you're d3 you're probably gonna get cussed out or whatever he came in and he was like you know we didn't win but there's a lot of things that you know we could have controlled that could have won us the game basically us making shots you know us rebounding the ball just playing better defense so (laughs) yeah because people don't get to see it either, but, like, the feel of the, like, I wasn't, like, it did not feel like a loss after that. No, all. it didn't. It was, yeah. Like, we were out there to get better. It felt like a, just a scrimmage where we were we were working hard on our stuff. I I've, I got a chance to call the game. I don't know how well Hargraves actually really liked that. <laughs> but I called the game, and I said on air that I was, like, I was talking to my co-host, and I was, like, well, they're getting open shots, shots that they would want to take. They're just not hitting them. If you guys hit even, like, half of those shots, you win oh, by yeah. 10. Yeah. Would like, we shoot, like, 20% from three or something yeah. like that? And, I mean, we if we wanted, we could have went out and beat that team by 50. And, I mean, I'm not being arrogant by saying that. We easily could have. But we did the right thing by just getting better as a team. Yeah, building, like, rotation and yeah, stuff. Yeah. Could have just went out there, ran, played bad basketball, and like won the game. Mm. Sorry to say this, but like you did last year. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Talent. Like co- our coach always talks about, like, last year's team and, and a lot of teams that aren't Hope trying Kelvin and, I mean, Alma in past years with him would win games. Like, Elbion has been winning games on their talent, not so much anything else, not playing great basketball. They have talent. Olivet's had talent. Kalamazoo a couple years ago had a really talented team. So in this league, you either win by ta- having talent or having you know just playing good basketball. Well, we have talent. If we play good basketball, then you know kind of sky's the limit. Yeah. So, because you got I I again I said this to him, and I've said this to you as well. I I think our compatriot comrade Keon Durite Rainey. People didn't get to see what he can actually do on on a court last year. He kind of was used in a way that I don't think was – he was used in something that he was good at, but that's not his – I wouldn't say playing defense is his strength. He kind of came off the bench just to be like a, a juice spark guy, and I don't – he could have been used a lot more effectively than that last year, and I think you're going to see a lot different this year. People are going to wake up. 
Yeah, it'll Detroit. <laughs> um, Hashtag dream chasers. Yeah. So, I mean, do you got anything else you want to ask him as far as like being on the team here and stuff? I mean, I don't think so. We got obviously we got the one question we always ask basketball yeah. players. You want to? Yeah. Go ahead. All right. Who is the best player or players you've played with or against? I mean, I've never played with like outstanding players. I wouldn't say like I, I for the most part, I've been the best player on most of my teams, even AAU wise. But like AAU, I'd say against the kid who's going off for Holy Cross right now, Drew Louder. Um, shout out to him. He just dropped twenty four against Maryland, I think. I played against him. He's really good. Um, let's see. I played against DeJulius from Michigan. He's pretty damn good. Brandon Johns, obviously, played against him in some summer league stuff. Trevor and Jalen are probably up there. You can't leave them out of the mix for sure. I mean, I've been on – yeah, so with definitely Trevor and Jalen Adams, Trevor Manuel, so, and Tracy too. So those are the best players, I'd say. That's a lot of talent. That's a lot. And yeah. didn't you uh, – didn't you say you played with Foster Lawyers? Oh, well? yeah. I, I didn't play with him. I played against him in okay. AU. And he's a lot better than what people think. Yeah, he's good. Yeah. I, he he did good last year at the end of the year, too, so I think he'll be just fine. Yeah. I, it is, it'll be – That's an interesting list, though. It's all pretty much Michigan guys, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. That's cool. That's cool. I mean, Olivet's close to Lansing. Lansing, Lansing and Detroit are like basketball central for the state. So you're in a good spot, yeah, even though I, I think people forget that Olivet. I mean, I wouldn't like consider Olivet to be like some amazing basketball school, but you guys have had good teams. Yeah, oh. Olivet, Charlotte. There's been some good teams out in this area. I mean, and it's not too far from from Lance. I was surprised actually with how pe- how passionate people are with about basketball here. It's it's been over a decade now, but we we've won a state championship, and that team probably could have won a state championship in multiple yeah. classes. Like that team was ridiculous. They had Cam Bramer on the team who played Division One football. Uh, Zane, Zane Gay, Gay played Division One basketball, and then they had just a bunch of role guys that who were just. The, who was the kid who went to Alabama College? Uh, Joe Post was the point yeah, guard. Too. Yeah, he Joe was Post was the point guard. They yeah they were stacked. And then we had some teams in the mid '90s that were just nasty too. But we've we've had a lot of talent in this area, but. It, as you know, you probably didn't hear a whole lot about Olivet before you came here, did you? No, I mean, all I knew about Olivet was one year when I was the ball boy at Hudson, they made the state championship the same year Hudson did in football. And that was then, a good team, too. Um, my friend came here and, like, played football for a year and was on the baseball team, and I guess they were really bad. And um, so he just quit baseball <laughs> and he quit quit going to school. Yeah, Dell was a baseball player, too. I forget about that. Three wins. That's 30 games. <laughs> <laughs> that's, g- that's good stuff. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, so what do you want to keep it moving here? Okay. We're going to pick your brain part three. Yeah. Part three. All right. What was the first question? Where, where were you born? Hayes Green Beach. How many siblings Hospital. do you have? Charlotte, Michigan. What's your favorite uh, color? Six siblings. <laughs> Blue. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't give him a chance to answer. I was doing a little bit of laid What's your favorite like food? Peanut butter toast with Pepsi. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> I've actually heard you say that before. What's one thing you're not proud of? 
Uh, <laughs> One thing you are proud of. Everything. Birds. <laughs> <laughs> One time, I shot a bird off the tel- <laughs> off the telephone wire. <laughs> this I'm not proud of. But <laughs> it also answers your question double because I am proud of it. <laughs> it was a family gathering. <laughs> oh, gosh. Um, cousins, great-grandma, little kids, and... <laughs> my grandpa bet me that I couldn't shoot this bird off the telephone wire with my red wi- red rider. I mean, this is like a year ago. And uh, I dropped it, and uh, there were a lot of really disturbed kids there. So, But, I mean, I'm proud of the shot. Fair enough. <coughs> Fair enough. <coughs> you good over there? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's hard to talk about. Can you, like, back off the mic a little bit? You're being oh. Yeah, less See, or more. Less. Uh, less. <laughs> 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 um, who is Doug Dorman? Doug Dorman goes way back, man. Let's hear uh, about it. Doug Dorman, he was created by me in fourth grade. That's <laughs> <laughs> kind of my alter ego in a way. <laughs> you know, there's kind of two sides to me. I'd say shooting that bird off the wire was... That was probably Dorman. <laughs> Dorman's anything out of the blue, you know? I mean, there's the regular Dell who's going to go out there. He's going to put on a show. But after the lights turn off, <laughs> there's a man who wa- roams the streets unpredictable. <laughs> That's the best way to describe Can you it. talk about are – you, are you willing to talk about the Dorman thing that happened in class or no? You willing to do that for this for our listeners? All right, you guys didn't hear this. Okay, <laughs> I doubt I doubt this professor is gonna get their hands on it, so I think you're good. All right, well I had a professor, still have her, great professor, love her. I had her last semester, and now I have her this semester, so it's two semesters in a row. The last semester, every day I would sign myself in as Dell regular, but then I would also sign Doug in. This was just natural at first because I thought Doug might want to be kind of a part of the class. But as time went on, it just got kind of hard to stop. So I kept signing Doug in every day, waiting, wondering if the teacher would say something. Because I knew she was putting these grades in, and I knew it had to start kind of making her go crazy a little bit. And she's foreign, so she uh, sometimes she has a little trouble figuring things out. Um, but... <laughs> She, uh, <laughs> we got we got rolling a little bit, and uh, I, w- I mean, I was signing this every day. Doug Dorman, Doug Dorman, Doug Dorman. As and well as Delbert Redfield. Delbert Redfield was there too, oh, okay. and I was All putting right. it kind of close to my name. I was, I, it kind of just came became muscle memory for a while. So this semester, <laughs> I started doing it, and a couple weeks ago, she rolls in, and she's like, she's doing the test or whatever. She's looking at it. And out of nowhere, she goes, who is Dorman? (laughs) And I'm like, here we go. (laughs) She comes over to my section (laughs) where me and Cam sit, and she's like, every day he signed his name (laughs) around you three. (laughs) Every day. I go to put the grades in. I look. There is no Dorman. (laughs) For the last year straight. Dorman has signed his name on this sheet. 
Does he want credit? Is he in the class? Does he even go to the school? I don't know, but he signed somewhere here. <laughs> so obviously, I was like, I don't know who, what you're talking about. Most of the kids in the class know who Dorman is. Dorman's getting out. It's me. <laughs> Not gonna lie. Um, but I didn't tell her, and I still sign as Dorman every day. But now I mix it up, and uh, I mean we're gonna see how it all shakes out. But as of right now, she just thinks there's a ghost coming in. All right, next question. Wh- who is on the basketball court? Is it you or Doug? Oh, that mixes up. Sometimes it's me. Sometimes <laughs> it's Dorman. And the, the crazy thing about Dorman is, if you ever see me just, like, really zoned out and I'm, I'm just not into it, that's Dorman. But if you see me really zoned in, I mean, I'm having a great game, that's also Dorman. Dorman lives in two extremes. <laughs> He's either really high or really low. Anything in between, that's probably Dell out there. So, so when you see the eye of the tiger from Dover Redfield, it's actually Doug. There's a good chance that's Dorman. Okay. <laughs> All right. Okay. I think we've gotten far enough into the mine of Dover Redfield. Now it's time to get to the big guns. All right. That was a, that was a little warm up. <laughs> Dorman was a warm up. A little crowd pleaser, Dorman. Woo! Can you tell us about this trip to New Mexico? Paint the picture. Put us there. Start from the beginning. You know, the best way to tell this story is like regular style from the beginning to then <laughs> in the middle and then end it with the ending. Uh huh. <laughs> so I'm going to try to keep this as short as possible. But I mean, this story's gone quite long before. And it's probably one of my more prouder moments. To start off, m- group of friends. It was me my younger brother Dylan, and my other brother Zach. And one of our other friends, his name is Jackson. Um, So Dylan comes up to me, this is probably a year ago, and he's like, dude, there's this guy, Forrest Fenn. Now you guys can look all this stuff up, it's real. He hid a treasure out somewhere in Colorado, New Mexico, Montana, What's the other state out there? I think it's maybe Utah. He hid a treasure out there um, about five years ago that nobody has found yet, as anybody knows of. Um, so he is a ex-Navy pilot, so he flew like in Vietnam and all sorts of different stuff. And then for the rest of his life, he went and started doing like antique shops. He loves antiques. And so after his entire career of antiquing, I guess, he hid this $5 million antique treasure box out in, I mean, he's an avid outdoorsman, adventurer. Forrest Fenn's the name. And uh, so he hid it out there. And so obviously we look into it, and there's a poem on it, and there's a, he wrote a book, and he does a lot of podcasts and talks about it. So we start investigating. I, so first thing we did is I read his book. And I started getting deep. And we're like, all right, this summer, us four are going to go find that treasure. How big is the book? The book was about 100 pages, I think. Okay. But it was all just pure knowledge on Forrest Fenn. 
about him or about this treasure? It was about his life. Was, about was his it life. by him? Yeah, the okay. book's called The Thrill of the Chase. Okay. So it's about how to find the treasure. Okay. But the book is about his life, and it kind of puts clues in on how to find the treasure. I I just want to say something real quick. I'm, I'm doing some research right now. You know four people have died? Four people have died. Um, that was the first thing we looked into because uh, we weren't really interested in that part of it. <laughs> <laughs> so um, he actually went on and said people like he he did like a nationally televised statement. He's like, stop dying. Like I was I was 85 years old when I hid the treasure. I didn't like climb any mountains or like or like fall down any Alps. Like I didn't skydive. Like I just went out to a place that I like and hid the treasure. Um, we did come close to death, um, and I'll get to that towards the end, but that wasn't any, like... It wasn't a plan. It was not planned. It was not planned. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so, I was actually, this story kind of starts, I was working an internship this summer, and it was a very strict rule, no days off. Like, you could have one sick day, like, maybe. They, I mean, no intern had ever taken a day off. And so... My brother, like, talks me into it. He's like, dude, you've got your whole life to live. What do you want? Do you want to do this insurance internship, or do you want to have the memories of going on this trip? And so I go into the internship, and I'm like, all right, I'm ready. To I mean, either I'm going on the treasure hunt or I'm out. So I do this bomb presentation, and my boss lets me go on the trip. So we just pack up, and we leave. We're gone four days. There's a lot of road stories that I won't get into. I don't know if you guys have heard of the black dog. It's an old urban myth. <laughs> Truck drivers seeing the black dog when they get tired. Well, I saw him because I drove about 19 hours straight. <laughs> and I was dancing with death, with the black dog. And then I peeled in, and I got all hopped up on Red Bull. <laughs> Drank about 8 to 10 Red Bulls. Wait, so you drove 19 hours straight? Michigan to Colorado. 19 okay. hours, no stop. Okay. Because you had to bottles. get it in. You had to Gatorade bottles. You had to get it in. I had to get it in. It we had a week to find the treasure. There was no breaking. Okay. So we were headed to Brown Mountain in Colorado. Because, I mean, this, this other friend in the group, like, he was set on Brown Mountain. I had done some research, and, like, I knew a lot about it, and I knew kind of where I wanted to look. And it was, like, in New Mexico I had a really good idea. But he was set on this Brown Mountain, and it was, like, six hours away. So I was like, all right, we'll go there first. So, I'll skip to that. We get to Colorado. We get to Brown Mountain. And we're just kind of hanging out there. Um, like, and one of the clues in the poem is, like, home of the brown. So, like, we're there for a day. And we're just, like, camping. We shot a porcupine. Uh, <laughs> cooked that up. But, like, <laughs> I was like, all right, so, like, when are we going to find the, like, what, where's the treasure? And he's like, well, I mean, it's just, I don't know. It's not out here. And I was like, what are you talking about, man? And he's like, well, I mean, we can just, like, turn it into a camping trip, you know? And I was like, well, that's not going to cut it for me. That's not how I roll. <laughs> I mean, I'm I've been studying this treasure for a year. So I rallied the troops. And uh, yes. Yes. <laughs> we drove down to New Mexico the next day. And that's where things really started to heat up. So I'm going to pull up the poem real quick. And we'll get into. This guy's uh, prepared. We'll get into how this all shook down. I've, I don't know if any of the listeners are fans of Spirit. 
You guys ever watch Spirit? Yeah, the movie, the, the cartoon animated movie, of, the, yeah. of the horse. Oh yeah. So we're driving through New Mexico, and all of a sudden we hit Shimron, which is the home of Spirit. It's like, and Spirit's like my favorite movie of all time. It's the horse. He runs with the eagles through the canyons and all that. So we get in there. We're like, this is freaking sweet. So like, that's actually where we, where this all took place, is Shimron in New Mexico. Let me get the poem real quick. So we roll into Shimron, and we just kind of like, we get down into this valley, and we're trying to set up camp. We don't really know where we're at or what we're doing, but I've got an I like, I had been studying it, and I had a good idea this is where it, it was going to be, because Forrest Fenn lives, uh, he lives in Santa Fe, which is like eight miles away, and so... I start looking at it, and uh, I had done some research. So the first clue of the poem is, begin it where warm waters halt, and take it in the canyon down. So a lot of people get this mixed up. They go to, like, super hot water or super cold waters because they think that's what the halt means. And what I did the research on is Forrest did a podcast, I think, like, three, three or four months ago or three or four months before we went, and he was talking about Vietnam, and he was like, I just remember, like, how warm the waters were there. Like, it was just like, because there was blood in the water, and it was super hot. He was talking about how warm it was there. And so there's this place in New Mexico where there's a Vietnam, like, memorial site, and it crosses perfectly, oh, and it crosses perfectly with a river called Agua Fria, um, which in Spanish means cold water. So we go check this out. We can't find it. We're driving all around town. And we there's no maps at this place. It's unreal. So we go in, we go to like the state ranger, and we're like, do you know where this Vietnam memorial site is? Nobody knows. So I'm like, all right, we got one last chance. So we roll in to this fly shop. Now, I'm a pretty big fly fisherman myself. I love fly fishing. <laughs> so A, I'm going in to get some flies and restock on some stuff. But I also know if there's one man in the town who's going to know something, it's going to be the guy at the fly shop. So I roll in, and I'm like, look, I've asked everybody here, and nobody knows, so I don't expect you to know. But do you know where the Vietnam Memorial site is? He tips his hat down. He looks me in the eyes. He's like, it's right up the road. About two miles. <laughs> oh, you'll see her. He was very mystical. I'm not completely convinced it wasn't Forrest himself. This guy was unreal. And I went back to the fly shop a couple times, and he never reappeared once. <laughs> this guy was crazy. So we get up there. We get up to this, this Vietnam Memorial, and it's freaking sweet. Like, there's this helicopter. It's got, like, a forest fen. Like, it actually has, like, a memorial thing to him. Um, it's really, really cool. You can see the whole canyon from it, and right in the middle is this river, and, like, the water's ice cold. Like, it's it's named Agrafia. So I'm like, all right, so we're starting to warm up a little bit, starting to get some things rolling. So we're warm waters halt. They crossed. Like, the, I mean, it was perfect. From there, take it in the canyon down is the next clue to the poem. So we're like, okay. And there was this clear canyon. Like, it went, it was a road. And it went down through a town, like, freaking huge mountain sides to each side. Not far, but too far to walk. 
So we're like, okay, that makes sense. You, we're not going to be able to walk this. Like, we're going to have to drive it. Put in below the home of Brown is the next. So now we're stumped again. So we go into town. We get some pizza. We're hanging around, hanging with the locals, trying to figure some stuff out. And we ask around. We're like, have you heard anything about the home of Brown? And the pizza lady was like, oh, yeah. You, son, are in Moreno Valley. So, like, the whole place we were in was, they, the locals called it Moreno Valley. And, like, there's this huge trout lake. And apparently it's called Eagle Nest Lake. Apparently it's, like, the, the best fly fishing trout in West America or whatever. And Forrest Penn's a big fly fisherman, too. But isn't Moreno brown? Moreno's brown in Spanish. So put in below the home of brown. So they said that this Eagle Nest Lake, this, this big trout lake, was the home of the valley. So we're like, okay, the home of Brown Valley. So that's the lake. And I'm like, all right, that clicks. I'm like, all right, we keep going. So from there, it is no place for the meek. The end is ever drawing nigh. So we're like, all right, we got to put in below the home of Brown. And in military terms, which he does a lot of in the poem, put in just means, like, stop. Like, that's where, like, that's where you go in. And so we're like, all right, well, where would, where would below this Eagle Nest Lake be? If that's the home of Brown, where would below it be? They're like, well, they say the first place to reach below the, the level of the lake is Maverick Campground, which is where we stayed the first night because we didn't know where to stay. It was, like, the only free campground around. So we just pitched a tent there. And so we're like, all right, that's where we're staying. So we got to put in below there. So from there, it's no place for the meek. The end is ever drawing nigh. There will be no paddle up your creek, just heavy loads and water high. That's the next stanza to the poem. So we're like, all right. In this part, Forrest said that you have to look into, like, Google definitions, like, like everything, like, look at the, what the words actually mean. So meek is, like, really scared and, like, timid. And so right next to Maverick Campground is this Maverick Creek. And we're like, all right, well, Maverick means, like, real courageous. And apparently that was his name, too, when he flew was Maverick, which if you've seen Top Gun, that's kind of cool. But um, so he's, like, it's the opposite. Like, it's no place for the meek. So we're like, all right, that makes sense. Maverick Creek, that's where we need to go. The end is ever drawing nigh. So we look at the thing, and it's like, the creek goes left the whole time up this mountain. Ever drawing nigh is, nigh means left. There will be no paddle up your creek, just heavy loads and water high. Now the creek's probably like five feet wide. So, like, there, you're not going to be able to paddle up it. So like, all right, we got to follow this creek up and see what happens. We don't know where we're at, by the way. We're just like in the middle of New Mexico. Anything can happen. <laughs> but we want this treasure bad. And I was on a mission. And they weren't going to stop me. And so, like, you're thinking you're close at this point, right? Like, you're, you're like, we're not there, but we're close. I'm thinking. Like, we're on the right path. I'm thinking, yeah, we came in. Our friend misled us by going to Colorado, Colorado, whatever. But <laughs> not even the same state. <laughs> I felt like Achilles at this point. Like, I was taking us to the promised land, and I could taste it. Like, I was really, I mean, I really felt we were getting close. So in the book, there's this picture of a waterfall, 
and I mean like nobody I don't think anybody's found it yet but like it's like this perfect picture that he took of this waterfall and it's supposed to be on this creek so the next day we start we start investigating and we asked like the locals we were like trying to like lay hints like see if people nobody there knew what we were talking about with this forest fen thing like I don't think I mean a lot of people know about it but really not a lot of people do so they're like yeah we've actually kind of heard rumors like something about that but nobody was looking out there and so like we go up this creek and i mean it's sweet back back there like there are like streams in the mountains and we were fly fishing and so like we would bring trout home and and cook them at the campground and stuff so like overall it was a cool a cool trip but i was pretty locked in at this point and we're following this creek up and all of a sudden my brother dylan's like dal dal up here and he's like 100 yards ahead and we go up and we found this this waterfall I mean, it was dead on. It was sweet. So, obviously, we got in and swam around in there a little bit. You know, it, I mean. It took was, it all in. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we took pictures of it. It was sweet. So, we're like, all right. There'll be no paddle up your creek, just heavy loads and water high. And so, like, the water high, we thought, was definitely this waterfall, which was also in his book. So, we kept exploring the area a little bit, <coughs> figuring some things out. And we found, like. 100 yards away are these old logging trails. So we're like, all right, that could be the heavy loads. Like, like I don't know, heavy loads of wood. Like, I don't know, it's all connecting. And so we go back to camp. We chill out for the night, whatever. We're like, all right, the next day we got to go back. And so, like, the plan is to go just go back. But it was probably, like, a 10-mile hike up to that waterfall. So my younger brother, Zach... He really kind of ruined the whole thing. He had this new idea because he was like Google Maps and on his phone. He's like, well, if we go up this mountain, like we can go on the other side and we can get there quicker. But we still didn't know like really where the treasure was. We just knew it was in that area. It's like we're looking. It says, if you've been wise and found the blaze, look quickly down your quest to seize. But tarry scant with marvel gaze. Just take the chest and go in peace. Now, we're thinking we're like all right we we're not gonna be able to go up there like we got to find this blaze i don't we don't know what that means but then i remembered it like it clicked this one part of his book he talks about his like antique shops and when he was a kid he hated going to antique shops because there was always those signs that said do not touch don't touch don't touch it's like you could never grab the antique and actually look at it and feel it and so like when he opened his antique shops his big thing was like, please touch. Like it always, like everything, please touch. You could look at it. Now, no coincidence, Maverick Creek runs up and hits another mountain called Touch Me Not Mountain. And we're looking at the map, we're like, okay, what better place to hide the treasure? Like right as Maverick Creek touches this mountain. And pretty much like an F you to everybody. Like I'm going to hide the treasure right where nobody can touch. Like you're not supposed to touch it, but you can like so we're like all right that's where it's going to be so we take this new route the next day we're like all right if we cl if we drive up this mountain i mean this is like a seven mile drive to the top of this mountain it'll be a like a 10 minute hike down right where we need to be it's right where maverick creek ends on touch me not mountain that whole area has never been looked at before so the next day we wake up bright and early we get out there, and we start driving up this mountain in my friend's mom's Equinox. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> I mean, this thing's steep. Like, we're going straight up. And, like, we start going, and I'm driving. 
and it just starts sliding down out of nowhere. Like, we're going straight up, and I, I just gunned it, like, and it's just rolling down. So I slammed it in park real quick, and it's still sliding a little bit. We jumped out and, gra- like, got in the back, and we started pushing, like, and we got it to stop. And, like, we're just holding it with all our might. This Equinox about to freaking slide down the mountain. And <laughs> we're just sitting there, and I was like, Zach, go get in it and just gun it. And so Zach, my youngest brother who doesn't drive, goes and gets in the driver's seat and just guns it. And, like, we push, and then we get it to burst, and, like, he gets it up to, like, this ledge. And if he wouldn't have hit the brakes, like, it was going straight back over the edge of the mountain. But he does. Like, he gets it there, parks it. We're like, this isn't going to make it to the top. We can't really get back to camp now. So, I mean, th- and this is the hottest day in New Mexico, too. It was, like, 95 degrees. We're like, all right, well, Jackson, do you have, like, any waters? Like what? And he's like, yeah, I've got 20 waters in my bag. And we're like, you know, we could pro- it's seven miles. Like, we've done this already. We had practiced in Colorado. We climbed this one mountain just for fun. Like, we wanted to climb one. And that was tall. And so we're like, we can do this. So we climbed to the top of this mountain. Seven miles. Hot. And we're climbing. And, like, this guy, there was this Jeep. The only people on the mountain. Like, this thing was, like, there's this red Jeep that kept stopping. Like, on the first time, we had, like, been halfway up and we were stopped. And, like, we'd take some water. And he stopped, and he's like, hey, guys, how's it going? This old Mexican guy. And uh, we're like, hey, how's it going? He's like, you know, I just wanted to stop and tell you guys I think it's awesome that you're climbing this mountain. My dad dropped me off at the top when I was 12 years old, and I don't think I've ever seen anybody climb it since. Everybody drives up here because of the views, but nobody climbs it. I think that's great. And he kept offering us, like, water and stuff, and my friend Jackson insisted. Like, he's like, well, we got water. We're good. Like, no, thank you. But he stopped, like, two or three times as we were climbing just to talk to us. So we get to the top, and it's like a 10-minute hike, what we think, down. Somehow we get turned around, and we just, like, it turns into, like, a 30-minute hike. And by the end of it, we're at the top of this other mountain called Green Mountain, not where we want to be at all, just in the middle of the woods. Top of this mountain, it's 95 degrees out, and my, my brother gets his maps thing working again, and he's like, yeah, we're 25 miles away from camp. 30 miles away from the car, 95 degrees. That's when Jackson speaks up and says, yeah, I only brought eight waters. <laughs> we don't have any left. It's the middle of the day. So my one friend Jackson, like, breaks down mentally. He's like, guys, I don't, I'm starting to get scared. I don't think we should be up here. Like, yeah, no shit, we, w- we shouldn't be up here. <laughs> That's pretty clear at this point. But, I mean, I... I locked in. I was like, we got no choice. I was like, do you guys want to head back to the car? Do you want to head back to camp? Like, how are we going to do this? And uh, my other brother, Dylan, he's like, no, we're not doing any of that. We're going to go find the creek. And once we find it, we can either take that back to the road or we can find the treasure. So he just goes, starts going in the opposite direction that we need to be going. And he's traveling. Like I'm like, all right, we might actually die out here. But he gets down, he finds Maverick Creek somehow. And, like, we're, we're right at, like, the tip of it. I don't know how he found it. Like, we got to the master, like, yeah, this is it. And so, like, we filled up our water bottles in it because it was a super clear ri- river. And uh, we go to the tip of it, and it's just, like, this 
big clearing. Like, I mean, it's beautiful. Like, I, I promise you that's where he hid this thing. Like, it was so, so sweet. The creek just ends, and it kind of, like, trickles out, and, like, it's just this big grove. Like, you can see the mountains. You can see everything. There's, bird, like, eagles flying. It was so awesome. And I kid you not, probably 50 yards out in the distance is just a massive grizzly bear. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Like, it was freaking huge, and it was scary. And, like, the whole time, the whole time we had been hiking – I mean, I didn't even – I'm from Michigan. I wasn't – Grizzly Bears was not on the menu. <laughs> I wasn't thinking about them. I wasn't thinking about – I was thinking, yeah, maybe we'll see a deer out here, like a squirrel or something. Like, what's going to hurt us in the woods? I've been roaming in the woods around here my whole life. Like, I wasn't thinking grizzly. And this thing was scary as shit. <laughs> it was huge. <laughs> You don't think you don't You're think about how big those things really are. Your red rider wasn't gonna do a whole lot. It wasn't. <laughs> no, and I no, we had no weapons, nothing. Like I didn't even have a knife on me. I think my other friend might have had a knife. Like my little brother Dylan picked up a rock as soon as he saw it, <laughs> and I, we're like. Gosh, this is a tough choice, right? It's like five million dollars or a grizzly bear. It's like in the, in the movie. Yes, that's where you fight the grizzly <laughs> and you find the treasure. In real life, that's where you're like, you know, we're twenty. <laughs> People aren't probably gonna find it. We can come back next summer and probably find it. No grizzlies. And so, or like prepared for grizzlies. Yeah, something. And have a have a weapon of some anything. sort that could actually be effective. So, like, I mean, the story really it doesn't even end there, but like, it pretty much the treasure ends there because like we were like we can't do this anymore. So we start walking back down the creek. I was so mad, you know. I wanted to go back, but as we're walking down this creek, we start noticing some stuff out in the woods, like. There's bones everywhere, like huge piles of bear shit all over the place. <laughs> like, I mean, and we're like stepping over it. And like my one friend, uh, Jackson, like he's oblivious to all this kind of stuff. Like he's just like stomping around, crunching on bones. Me and my brother Dylan are in the back and we're like scared to death. We're like, we've got rocks in our hands. I mean, in a cartoon, I mean, like, we would walk into these groves, and there should have been, like, a sign that said, like, welcome to Bear Living Room. There were bones. Living Room. There were bones everywhere. So it ended up being, like, a 25-mile hike down this creek to get back to the road. And once we got to the road, it was, like, a mile to the camp. It was, like, it was our only option at this point. We had, like, river water. We were drinking. Just, like, going down. We had already hiked, like, 20 miles on the day. It was – it sucked bad. It was super hot out. So, like, we finally make it to the road. It's starting to get dark. And, like, we stumble back into camp and just, like, pass out on the ground at our campground. And, like, I woke up from, like, a daze. And me and Dylan just got up. And I swear, like, I was squinting. And into the campground rose this red Jeep. And we're, like, looking. And I'm, like, that looks a lot like the Jeep that was on the mountain. And this Jeep just pulls into, like, a camper spot. And this old Mexican guy just gets out and starts grilling burgers and stuff. And I'm like, that's the guy. So we don't have a car at this point. Like, we're just there. So me and Dylan go over to his thing, and we're like, hey, you mind taking us back to our car? We got a little turned around. And so, I mean, this guy's my screensaver now. 
That's him right there, a Mexican guy. So he wants us to tell our whole story while we're riding. So like he takes us back to our car and we tell him the story. It's him and his wife. I already seen it. And uh, he's like showing us all these bear caves and stuff like around the territory. And he's like, yeah, like where you guys were is the most densely populated bear country like in not even just New Mexico, like this entire like southern like that's like the most bears like I've never he said he's never gone up there with anything less than a shotgun ever and he's like lived there his entire life he's like I don't know how you guys are alive right now doesn't <laughs> like you guys are so lucky to be alive but anyways like he took us to get our car we got it back got it back to campground and when we got back my brother my youngest brother and Jackson were there they were eating steak and I kid you not like the entire campground was like at our campsite and they wanted to hear the whole story so like we got there and we had to like tell them the whole story and like they fed us and I mean we were leaving that night so like as we left they were like we'll never forget the Michiganders who came to find treasure here or the treasure hunters from Michigan so it was freaking sweet and yeah I mean drove back home had a story to tell but we'll be back I promise you that Freaking crazy! That, yeah, that was. Isn't that a crazy story? Yeah. That no, I was. I'm so glad I got it off my chest. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot to take in, but I'm not a big bear guy, so that. I, I just I'm the whole story just is super interesting. Oh, it is it's crazy. There's so many parts to it. Like I had to cut out so many parts, but like a lot of people like don't believe me when I say like all the stuff that happened like it was a crazy yeah crazy at first I didn't I thought it was just like cause Del like makes mm-hmm. stuff up all oh, the yeah. time all like, the time I love making stuff up like he's up. a total <laughs> BSer so I'm like oh there's no way this is true and then he starts his story by being like oh this is actually the background of my phone it's me and this dude and I'm like oh, okay this is real this is legit <laughs> this is so, as real as Dorman yeah <laughs> pretty, pretty crazy so uh, I mean we look forward to Seeing you on the news when you like make this huge treasure chest. Invest back in the Fisk and Friends podcast. No doubt, no doubt. Yes. <laughs> so I mean, I that's that kind of it. Yeah. I mean, that's all I got. That really was. I've never even heard someone who even had close to the similar like situational story. Never. It's like one of the coolest stories ever. Wow. So our, I think our small audience may get bigger because <laughs> that story is pretty sweet. Wow, I really appreciate so, you guys letting me so tell it. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, uh, I don't know. Do you have any, like, closing questions? For, I mean, I really don't. No. So, anything anything to add for any listeners at home? I'm in a band. <laughs> it's called The Outliers. Go follow us on Instagram. At? The, out, the Outliers. <laughs> 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 underscore. Underscore the underscore outliers. Okay, this is not real. There's no way. It's real. Oh, my God. Okay, we'll go follow at, what's the ad again? Outliers. <laughs> Just outliers? I'll get it for you. <laughs> who's in th- Who's in the band with you? Uh, it's me, Dorman, uh, <laughs> my younger brother, Dylan, my good friend, Nolan. His nickname's Danger. <laughs> and... Uh, the other kid, Jackson, who we call Rocky. That's us. <laughs> underscore the outliers underscore. That's underscore T-H-E-O-U-T-L-I-E-R-S underscore. 
Yeah. Oh, that's who. I, that's Jackson's, and that's who I'm. That's whole whole story's about. So. Yeah. <laughs> you. All right. For. And now that I know who this is, you would probably not think, looking at Jackson, that he would be scared of. No. Anything. No. Jackson's like a big, like built, looks yeah. really strong dude, and you would not think he's like timid or scared of anything. So that makes it even better for me because. Jackson was in my grade. We graduated together. And now that I know who that is, that that makes the story even more like he's a special guy. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So you want to wrap it up, Fisk? Yeah. I thank you, Delbert, for being on the show. That was borderline best story I've ever heard in my life. Uh, that was super interesting. You got it. Oh, no, that's it. That, thanks for being on the show. Uh, thanks everyone for hopefully who'll tune in to this episode of Fisk and Friends, and for Michael Fisk, uh, I'm we're signing off. All right, see you later.